they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it, bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. So Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to the land full of large fish. Now picture it. Jesus has got this fire going and everything. And, and here Peter, he's, he's pulling the net with all those fish. And, and pulling those fish, he's not complaining. I mean, that's a blessing. That's not only food, that's his livelihood. And notice it said, and he pulled up the large, fl- the large fish. 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. None of them got away, even though it was net breaking. So a number of years ago, I'm sitting at the far north end of the Sea of Galilee, right here where this takes place. Right, right by, by a city called Capernaum. And so I hear this story taught right, right there that day. And the guy said, how many fish did they catch? And I said, 153. And he said, you're right. And then he said, what does that 153 mean? And I said, I don't have a clue. And he said this, that every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has numerical value. And he said, the 153 means in Hebrew, ani Elohim, which means or translated, God will provide. So I looked at him and I said, did those disciples know what that 153 meant? And he said, precisely. You know what I begin to see right there? That when we obey Father God fully, completely, he will provide. He, he is El, uh, uh, Nee Elohim. He is the God who wants to provide, but I must begin to obey him. So a few years ago, I was at a, a big corporation that's been built in Allen, Texas, and these guys said, would you come pray over our building? I said, man, I'd love to. And so we went in, and they were showing me, I mean, this crazy facility. I mean, just, and they said, this room here is where we come in and we pray, and this is the room where where we bring in and we discuss our vision for everything. And the guy said, man, I've never figured out what to, to name this building or call it, this room right here. And the guy with, him, or with me said, tell him that story about when you were at the Sea of Galilee. And I told him. A few weeks later, they send me a picture. You know what the picture says? Room 153. <laughs> they named that room the, the, the God who will provide. And so you know what? Our God's a provider. I just got to step out and begin to obey him. And you, you watch what God will do, okay? Yeah, thank you for that amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we, we honor you tonight. We do honor you as the Elohim, the God who provides. And Lord, I ask you to grace every one of us that we obey you, we obey your word, we obey your commands. And Lord, we thank you that you're the God who said, I'll supply all your need according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Goodness of God. Well, we're right there in John. Go back to your left to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we'll give you some truths of the, the Word of God tonight. I'm going to tell you right now, the Word of God, woo, it's, it's some good stuff. It's the blueprint for life. So we're in John chapter 8. 
And what I'm going to do when we, we start here tonight, I'm going to read verse 32, and then I'm going to read verse 31. In other words, we're going to go backwards for a reason. So John chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, there is such a thing called truth. I still believe in truth. And you know what the truth is? The Word of God. And, and the, the truth that we're talking about is God's viewpoint on every matter. And the Bible is not subject to redefinition, okay? The Bible didn't need our help to change it. The Bible does well enough. So in this passage right here, the Lord Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So sometimes I, I hear people kind of say that just in a phrase. Well, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, I, I believe the truth will set you free. But verse 32, the truth that sets us free is tied to verse 31. Now, read verse 31 with me, and you'll see what we're talking about. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. What that means, there was a group of Jews that gave their heart to Jesus. They got born again. When you believe Jesus is Lord of your life and you confess him as Lord of your life, you get born again. You give your heart to him according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's where that's at. So he said, they believed in him. Now watch this. If, if, now here's your Proverbs. If, if and buts were candy and nuts, what a Merry Christmas we'd have. That's not a Proverbs. I just made that up, okay? If, if you abide in my word. Now that word abide means to stay with it. To continue in it. To live by it. Now think about that right there. I must abide with his, in his word. Day by day by day. I never quit. And so he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So what happens is the word has got to come, become a part of me. It's got to get in my heart. And if you'll notice what he said here. You can believe in the Lord Jesus, but not continue in his word. And if I don't continue in his word, then I'm not a true disciple. So really, when you see that right there, that he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is true if I abide in the word. If I stay with the word. If I don't quit on the word. How many of you have ever here wanted to quit on the word? I've wanted to quit over and over like, ah. But I found if I just stay with the word, and what I mean by stay with it, I keep reading it, I keep, I keep believing it, and I keep speaking. Just keep speaking the things of God over your life. Abide in the word. Let, let the word soak within you. So you probably heard me talk about this a jillion times just in the last few, few weeks, maybe months. But, but when I got hung up on alcohol like I did, I began to confess the word. That's part of abiding in it. That's staying with it. So what happens here is I find a promise that's written in the word and I begin to speak that. I begin to actually pray that over myself. So the verse I stood on was Colossians 1.13 that said he's delivered me from the power of darkness. He'll deliver you from the power of darkness. But I got to abide in it. I got to stay in it. Day by day, you keep speaking it. Keep speaking it. I, I'm, I'm not moved by what I feel, what I see. I can't be moved. Because the word of God doesn't change. 
And so what happened in that when I continued to stay with the word of God, and I'm, I'm saying day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, from the time I began to confess the word of God in that area over my life till I totally walked free, it's four years. But you gotta stay with it. And here I am, a young 43, and God's still moving in my life. I'm not 43, okay. <laughs> Turn with me to John 15. John 15. So what you see there, guys, is truth must be embraced. It's got to become a way of my life where I look and say, this is what the Bible said. This is what the Bible said. I'm going I'm to stand on it. I'm going to stand on it. Just keep, keep speaking the word. Here's a little highlight for some of you. Until you get the word of God down in you where you can confess it out of your mouth, then write it on a three by five card. Tape it to your mirror. Tape it to your dash. Where day by day you see that and you begin to speak it. You begin to speak it. You keep saying it. You get, this is what God's word said about me. Woo, he's delivered me from the power of darkness. He's delivered me from the power of darkness. You watch what God will do. And so what happens the more I abide in the word, the more I stay with the word, it begins to take root in my heart. And, and how many of you are a gardener or a little bit of gardener? I'm a gardener kind of, but you know, when you put that seed in the ground, you go out there the next day and nothing's happened, but you don't pick up the shovel and say, stupid, stupid seed, you didn't think, do anything today. I mean, if I planted a seed tomorrow and went out there with a shovel and you were watching me and say, we need to lock him up in the Ha Hotel. Something's wrong with him upstairs. But yet with the word of God, sometimes we have the thought, it ought to happen. Hmm. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me. Now this is interesting. He changes the wording here a little bit. If you have intimate fellowship with me, if you have a union with me, and my words abide in you. My words live powerfully within you. My words are internalized. My words are grasped on the inside of you. And, and when it talks about here, the word, the Greek word for, uh, the word here is rhema, which means the spoken word. Woo, something happens when I start speaking the word. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then, then, there are translations that say then, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, God wants to bless us, but if you, if you get what he said, you gotta abide in Jesus. You gotta live with Jesus. You gotta have that intimate fellowship with him. And then he said, abide in my word, stay with the word, and then you'll ask what you will and it'll be done for you. And so my whole life is connected to the things of God right here by, by the word and just living with him. So what he's talking about here, Jesus is into relationships. Jesus wants to have a relationship. Jesus is not into dating. Jesus is into marriage. Jesus doesn't like to share us. He wants all of you, every part of our heart. And so when I begin to surrender to him in every area of my life, man, things begin to happen. So this is what he's taking, talking about. And we're going to get in a little bit deeper here in obedience. Go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Thank you, Lord, for your word. The word of God. 
you know, when I'm, I'm 20 years old, we, got, we had gotten married and we went to Bible school in Tulsa. And Monday through Friday, every day for about five hours, I, I felt like they would take a, a dump truck load of the Word of God and just dump it on me. Every day. Man, we would eat as much as the Word of God. Well, the Bible school I went to, it, it was very important for my life because all they preached out was the Word of God. And I'm, I'm grateful for that heritage. I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful for that. And so since I've been 20 years old, man, I, I've had the word in my life. Day by day by day by day by day. And I highlight that with you. I don't care how old you are. It's not too late to start getting in the word of God. I'm telling you, start getting in God's word and watch, watch how life will change. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately. Now, let me, let me tell you what's going on here when he says immediately. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men. And so this is a time frame. And it says immediately, Jesus made, he invited, or he strongly urged his disciples to get into the boat. So when I read that right there, it was Jesus' idea for the disciples to get in the boat. Wouldn't you agree? That's what the Bible says here. Jesus said, come on, boys, you need to get in the boat. Keep reading. And go before him. And go before him. So when I see go before him, you know what that says to me? That Jesus is going to come later, at a later time. So he says, and go before him. Get in the boat and go before him. To the other side... And while he sent the multitude away. So get in the boat and go, go to the other side. Now, when Jesus tells you to get in the boat and go to the other side, do I obey or do I disobey? It's a dilemma or a choice that every one of us have the opportunity to make every time we see Jesus say something. So if Jesus told you to get in the boat and go to the other side, do I obey or disobey? Verse 23. And when Jesus had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray now, when evening come, he was alone there. Now, it's interesting to me. There were times in Jesus' life where he'd get alone and he'd go pray by himself. And I just need to get alone with the Father. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, when I read this, remember, it was Jesus' idea for them to get in the boat. So could we possibly say... They were in the perfect will of God because they did exactly what Jesus said to them. I, I believe that's true. And so again, it's Jesus' idea they get in the boat. But now they get in the boat and all of a sudden they run into trouble. The, 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 the waves are moving, the wind's howling. Now there's a nugget for us right there, okay? Just because you're in the perfect will of God doesn't mean you're exempt from the storms of life. Doesn't mean you're exempt from trouble. If you serve Jesus long enough, you know. Yeah, I've been there. Seems like all hell is broke loose at times. And so I, I want to point this out here. But do I bite in his word even when the storms of life come? Do I bite in his word when things aren't going the way I thought they would? 
See, and could this be part of the reason, he's not responsible for the storm, but could this be part of the reason that he uses the storm to locate our faith? To say, yeah, it's, it's easy to abide in the word of God when things are going good. It is. Oh, yeah. We can see. But when things are difficult, do, do I become rooted and grounded in his word? Verse 25. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, which was somewhere between three and six in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Right in the middle of the night. Jesus is walking on the sea. Now, don't try to be spiritual with me, all right? When's the last time you've seen somebody walking on the sea in the middle of the night? Kind of like me, I haven't. Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. My paraphrased edition says they freaked out. Just like me and you would. Saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But remember, Jesus is the one who told them to get on the boat and go to the other side. And he said, I'll come later. The only problem with when Jesus said that he'll come later, he didn't say when he was going to come. And he sure didn't tell them how he was going to come. He didn't say, I'm going to come uh, uh, riding up on a jet ski. So he's walking on the sea. They're freaked out. Now, now remember the situation right here. The winds are howling, the waves are rocking, and all of a sudden this dude's strolling up, walking on the sea. What do you think would happen? What would we do? Probably a lot of wet pants is what we would do. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be a good cheer, be brave, be brave. It is I, do not be afraid. And so Jesus immediately, he comforts them with his word. Be brave, I, I got you, I got you. Verse 28. And Peter answered in him, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, when you read this, you, you can look at it in a couple ways. Was, was Peter trying to be superhero, Mr. Christian? Was he wanting to press Jesus? And the, or was he really sincere? I don't know. But, but, Jesus, or, but Peter says to Jesus, Lord Jesus, if, if it's really you, Tell me to come on out to you right there on the water. And again, I don't know if he's trying to impress people or not, but we look at Jesus' response in verse 29. So Jesus said, come, come. Wow. Now I got another dilemma. I've never walked on the water, but yet the Lord Jesus tells me to come. And when he tells me to come, that makes zero sense or logical in my mind, but yet the Lord Jesus told me to come. It's kind of like when he said, throw the nets on the right side of the boat. Sometimes it doesn't compute up here, but it moves in here. And so he says, come. Hmm. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Jesus. 
Let me read that one more time. And he came down out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Maybe we need to read it a third time. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now he defies logic. And if we read this correctly, I believe it'd be 100% accurate. How many of you in here believe that Jesus or that Peter walked on the water? <laughs> That's what it says. Wow. How did that happen? Jesus said, come, and Peter obeyed his word and said, okay, I'm coming. Verse 31. Verse 30. But when he saw, when he saw, sometimes our eyes get in the way of our heart. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to seek, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. So what happens here is he lost his focus. And what I mean by he lost his focus, he got his eyes off of the Lord Jesus. He quit looking to Jesus and he quit abiding in the word. He got his eyes off of what Jesus had said. And when Jesus said, come, he came. But when the winds started getting boisterous, when life starts coming at us and life's going to come at you, he begins to sink. Now, as I read this, the unfamiliar caused Peter to act in fear instead of faith. I'm going to take a time out just real quick. In no way, form or fashion, am I criticizing Peter. I mean, sometimes when you read the stories, you look and think, what's up with the disciples? But in this situation, there's no way I'm judging him. I'm not criticizing him because you know why? When's the last time you walked on the water? And we look at all the other disciples. They're in the boat. They're in the boat. It's dry in the boat. Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. But really in this situation... Peter was the only one that was a wet water walker instead of a dry boat sitter. Huh. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And so when I read you that, you know, if, if Jesus is the one to send you places and Jesus is the one to tell you to walk on the water, Jesus is not going to let you drown. He's not going to let him drown. He's going to take care of us. Now it gets better here. Now watch this. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. He said to him, O ye of little faith. Now when, when I read that, you, you talking about a head scratcher. Jesus looks at him and says, O ye of little faith. And, and so he would look at every one of us in here and say, oh, ye of little faith. You know why I say that? Because not one of us that I'm aware of have walked on the water. And I'm not talking about walking in a kiddie pool, okay? <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. And so I look and, man, there's times I grab my head and I say, okay, Lord. If not walking on the water is little faith, where am I at? <laughs> oh, ye a little faith. Now, when he makes that statement, oh, ye a little faith, he defines what little faith is, and look what he goes on to say. Why did you doubt? 
Why, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt my words? The word doubt means uncertainty. It means distrust, a lack of confidence. So have any of you ever been in doubt? Cry, I'm in doubt all the time. And I said, Lord, help me. Help me to believe your word. Help me to believe you. Help me to trust you. Even when life doesn't make sense. Oh, ye little faith. Why did you doubt? So we ask this question. Why did Jesus allow all this to take place? I believe with every encounter that we have with the Lord, he increases our faith by increasing our understanding. And the more I get around Jesus, the more I begin to understand, he's not going to let me drown. He's not going to let me go under. And so what that does to each one of us, that begins to strengthen my faith where I realize, man, Jesus is a man of his word. He's never failed me yet. He just keeps moving in my life day by day by day by day. And so literally, Jesus doesn't scold them, but what he's doing is he's building their faith, and that's what he does with us. Just keeps building my faith. And you know how I, I, I get my faith built just like you? When we go through storms of life, when we go through troubles, and we stand and we stand, and we say, okay, Lord, we're gonna stand. We're gonna stand on your word. You know, when we... We had the opportunity to plant this church. I was 23 years ago. The, the first Sunday that we had a service, we had six adults there. Whopping six. Uno, dos, six. In a little duplex. And, and by the time that the first month went, guy, we were up to a whopping 27 people. But the little duplex was overflowing. And so Lord, we said, Lord, we don't know what to do. We, we don't know what to do. Now, you got to remember this. When, we, when you start something with nothing, you know what that means? You have nothing. We didn't have any chairs. We didn't have any speakers. We didn't have any mic. We had nothing. So God began to open a door. And we just stepped out by faith, even though, man, we felt like there were days we're about to drown. Lord, we're going under. And so where the old Holiday Inn on the South Loop, we started having church at the Holiday Inn. Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. <laughs> Pastor quit. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is. That was the first rap song out, okay? That's 1977. We had church in the Holiday Inn. And it kept growing. And I remember we had, we had to go buy speakers and sound. And so our first speakers and sound, they came from a pawn shop in Clovis, New Mexico. Went and bought them from a pawn shop. Oh, happy day. And we outgrew that. And then the Lord graced us with another building right off of 50th and Q in a business complex, and we turned this business into a church and continue to grow. And you say, you act surprised. Well, I was because I was still living in Clovis. We commuted every weekend for three years, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it kept growing. 
And so then the Lord just graces. And we kept saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. None of this computes up here. And so we started having church out on West 82nd at a place called Black Tie Casino. So how your tithes was determined is we'd roll the wheel and what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we didn't do that, okay. Help me, Jesus, help me. And so this building came up. And now we just said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but you do. You, you got to help me. How many times have you ever been in a situation where you feel like your head just went squirrely? You're like, oh my gosh. Well, that's how I got. So ultimately they said, you, you guys are the new owner of this property right here. And everybody's, hey, woo, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I was like, oh me, oh me. You know why I was saying, oh me? They wanted a million dollars for this. I didn't have a million dollars. I had a piggy bank, but I didn't have a million dollars. And so I was like, oh Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. I mean, I'm, I'm in deep right now, Lord. These folks accepted the bid and we're gonna buy it, but yet I don't have a million dollars. What are we gonna do, Lord? What are we gonna do? And, and I would say things like that. I said, I don't know what to do. And one day, the next week, this guy comes out of nowhere and he goes, you don't know me. And he said, I really don't know you. But he said, I'm a banker here in town. And he said, I would watch you pray out in the parking lot. He said, I would watch you come in to this church and get on your knees and pray. And, and he said, I got moved. And God said, I'm supposed to help you. And I looked and I said, you're supposed to help me? And he said, yeah. So he gives me a loan to pay for it all. I didn't know this until two years ago that this guy retired and he looked at me and you know what he said? He said, I prayed for you more than you know. And I said, why is that? And he said, you were the first million dollar loan that I ever gave. He said, I really needed you to succeed. And I looked and thought, thank God you didn't tell me that. <laughs> so what happens with that? Just, just think about the progression that I just told you. That, that we go from duplex faith to, to ho-ho holiday in faith to Briarcroft faith, to Black Tide Casino faith, and then we get here, and so I'm telling you, God is the God that moves, but each one's a journey of faith, step by step by step, and that's where some of you are at, right? It's okay. It's okay when you get in over your head and say, Jesus, I'm drowning. He sees. He comes and he'll rescue. He'll help us. But you stand up. Let's pray. We'll quit with that. Wow. Good, the goodness of God, guys, I'm just telling you, God's goodness here upon us. So let me, let me ask you right now, if you feel comfortable, just raise your hands here, because I believe God, he's wanting to help us right now. So Lord, we thank you for your word right now. And Lord, I, I know there's situations, there are dilemmas all over your house right now that look differently for every one of us. But Father God, I ask you right now to help our little faith. Help us to trust you, your character, your integrity. Help us to trust in your word. And, and Lord, I, I pray right now woo, that, that you just download your heart on every one of us. You just move in each one of us tonight. And Father God, we stand before you and we say, thank you. Thank you for helping our faith. 
Thank you for helping us to trust who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we thank you that without faith, it's impossible to please you. But you are a rewarder and a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So Lord, grace us this week to abide in you and abide in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap to the Lord.